clear of the closing doors, please. Hello and welcome to Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy and I am your host. Thank you so much as always for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcast app, Spotify, and on YouTube. Thank you for joining me today because you know what? You might be listening to this and if you're a Mets fan, you might be thinking how I'm thinking. I don't want nothing to do with this team. I don't want to hear about this team, think about this team, watch this team. Well, let me just tell you that you're not alone and we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat in the NBA Finals. Just some quick thoughts on that and just kind of wrap some things up because I had to make sure I got an episode out for you guys this week. I know a little bit delayed. I like to go a little earlier in the week, but we were a little busy this week. This week I saw Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse on Tuesday. And let me tell you, if you haven't seen it yet, do yourself a favor If you haven't seen the first one, watch that. It's incredible. Go see the second one. It's incredible. You're going to have a great time, and you're going to be impressed. I'm not going to deep dive this movie right now. It's not why we're here. We're talking Mets, and we're talking NBA Finals. But boy, does Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse deliver. Aesthetically gorgeous. Just one of the most impressive feats that you can watch on the big screen. Just amazing. The voice acting, fantastic. The comedy is there. The action is amazing. The storyline was awesome. Man, could not be more thrilled watching that film. I mean, off the charts. But again, we're not here to talk about Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. We're here to talk sports about the Mets and this NBA Finals. Now, if you hear me coming at you from a different volume maybe with a different sound, not in my normal setting. I'm away. I'm a guest right now, so I can't be too, too loud. But that's part of the reason why I'm getting to you so late. Saw the movie Tuesday, a little travel end of the week, a little busy work schedule, but we're still here to talk about what we got to talk about. So if you're listening to this, obviously you know where to find us already. Subway Sports Talk, right? Apple Podcasts, app, Spotify, YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, drop a comment. Drop a review, drop five stars, subscribe to YouTube, hit the notification bell so you know when we drop new stuff. For example, this week, right? Maybe you expected it on Tuesday or Wednesday. Here it is on Friday. Better late than never. How else would you know? Unless you had the subscription going, right? So do that. Help yourself. Help me. Appreciate you very much. So let's start off with the Mets, and then we'll go to the NBA Finals. The New York Mets are on one of those runs, you know, people often talk about the lull of a baseball season, but but this lull for the Mets has lasted quite some time. This lull for the Mets has felt like it's been going on for this entire season. With all that being said, yes, of course, there's still only a few games under 500 after a six-game losing streak, after blowing three straight leads to the Atlanta Braves in games that you don't get a chance to get back until so much later in the year based off how this schedule works out. But this lull has been going on for a while. And some of the reasons why they're struggling make a ton of sense. And it's unfortunately because their pitching staff has been subpar this entire season. Even for many stretches where you get a good Kodai start, you get a good Verlander and Scherzer back-to-back, the bullpen's not there. Frankly, the bullpen has never been there, and outside of Robertson, who did blow it, this most recent loss to the Braves, it hasn't been there. We'll talk about them in a second, but the starters have been bad. Then all of a sudden, 
you know, you think about this past weekend or this past week with the losses to the Braves, and you see some numbers, you see some RBIs, you see some leads that they had later in games that made you feel like, yeah, maybe the offense is coming around. Maybe there is some silver lining here. Maybe there's a positive. Francisco Alvarez, his power numbers are a positive. That's good. Tommy Pham has stepped up to the dish and basically been the best hitter on this team over the last seven, uh, five, six games. Pete Alonso obviously out with the injury, but he still played five of the last seven games. And he hasn't been hitting well, even though he has a couple home runs in the past week. Lindor still subpar, even though he's a little bit better. Marte's coming around. He's a bright spot. Hasn't been walked in over a week. Brandon Nimmo finally hit a grand slam, but he's been rough for over a week. Brent Beatty has been very mediocre. At least he's getting on base a little bit. Mark Hanna, not so good. On and on and on. Jeff McNeil, not so good. So with the silver lining conversation with this Mets team about the pitching being so bad and you go to the silver lining that you think exists because you saw some good numbers, there were some pop. There were some home runs hit over the past couple games. That's a positive thing, sure. The offense still isn't at a place to carry a pitching staff like this. So silver line all you want about the Mets right now the offense isn't good enough to carry the pitching, and this pitching is downright bad. Before I go into the pitching at depth here, I gotta say this. Do I think the season's over? No. Do I think they're in trouble? Absolutely. And it's an important distinction because some people instantly jump to this season's over, they stink, fire Buck, get rid of him, get rid of Epler, get rid of this guy, get rid of that guy. And I understand the reactions, right? We're fans. You see something that you think sucks, you want it to change. We all do it. We all think it. But that's not the full story. To say this team has no hope no chance of turning this thing around is still a little too far for me, but absolutely are they in trouble. Absolutely do they have to do a few things. Not just one move, not just two moves. They need to make multiple maneuvers to make this roster more competent. It may not be about high-end stars, but the competency of this roster right now is not good. You can still make arguments till you're blue in the face about the offense, about Beatty and Alvarez and Vientos doing what they can do and have done occasionally. Alvarez obviously hitting some nukes as of late. Beatty's been decent. The offense you can make the argument for. Right now, you cannot make the argument for the pitching staff. Here are some numbers. Over the last seven days, six games total, so you got six games total. You got 13 different pitchers for the New York Mets over the last seven days. Every single one of them has given up a run. I don't know to you if that sounds like a lot. Based off my guesstimation, I figured, you know, there's probably one or two guys who maybe only pitched an inning or two who haven't given up a run in the past week. Nope. Every single one of the 13 pitchers for the Mets over the last week have given up at least one run. In fact, 10 out of 13 Mets pitchers over the last week have given up two or more runs. 
only Tyler McGill in one start, five and a third, gave up one run. Brooks Raley, I'm sorry, Tommy Hunt. Yes, no, I was right the first time. Brooks Raley in 2.1 innings have given up only one run. One of the few bright spots of this Mets bullpen along with Robertson, who just gave up, obviously, the big runs against the Braves in the final game. He would have been on this list. Now he's not. And lastly, Steven Nagosik in four innings has given up just one run. All the other 10 pitchers for the Mets, double-digit runs. You even have Verlander with two starts in the mix. He's given up six runs. A little more understanding with two starts in there. However, five ERA over those last two starts. Max Scherzer, five runs in five innings. Carrasco, four runs in five innings. Senga, four runs in two and two-thirds. Brigham, three runs in four innings. On and on and on. Down the list. But here's the thing. All these relievers, who I mentioned just some of them at this point, you don't expect much better. You really do not expect much better. Yes, you expect better out of David Robertson, but he's been better. He had one bad pitch that gave up those two runs, and that was that for Robertson. Brooks Raley's been good. Nagosik has had a good couple outings, two two games in, uh, in the last week, and he's thrown four innings, given up one run. That's solid. It's not even a close to enough, especially with how these starters have not been going deep into games. You got a couple good Verlander starts. You got him going deep. Scherzer's knocking at the door a little bit here and there, but still giving up some big hits, some big runs. They're not even close. This pitching staff needs a whole lot of work, and Jesus, <laughs> frankly, because this team, for all we want to say, for all I want to say about not giving up on the season, which I don't think they're going to, I don't think they should, I don't think they will end up in a place where they're not in the hunt, where they're not in the race. You have to look at the obvious. You have to notice not just what you're seeing with your eyes, but then you go and check yourself and say, oh, yeah, all these pitchers are doing bad. Good, because I kind of think they're all not that good. It makes sense. Oh, the hitting is actually maybe doing a little something-something. Ooh, go check the stats. Still not that good. Yes, the power's been better, and I'll take it. At this point in time, I will take every little victory that the Mets can have. And those victories are not actual wins because they haven't had one in a week. They're just the small ones. They're just the Alvarez's swing looks great. They're just the Marte starting to hit the ball hard. They're just the Lindor has looked a little more comfortable as of late. None of that's meant to win yet. And even with those offensive silver linings, they're not even close to being good enough offensively to carry that pitching staff. I'm not going to waste our time here because I want this to be a relatively shorter podcast on a Friday. Get some thoughts out to you guys. But watching this past week of games for the Mets has been brutal. It's been gut-wrenching. It's been one of those weeks that tests you as a fan when you say, all right, the Mets are playing, but also we got Nuggets heat. Also, I haven't spent time with my significant other in a while. Also, my dog needs a long walk after this smokiness uh, out in New York City area. Also... You know, I haven't played video games in a while. Also, I should probably catch up on some sleep. And you're going to pick all these things over the Mets. You're going to do it, maybe. Maybe you're a psychopath. Maybe you're like me. You throw on sports almost every night and you watch what you watch. But this is one of those weeks that makes you say, what am I doing? Am I wasting my time? 
And the biggest problem is when it comes down to the Mets and Mets fans right now is that Mets fans actually have great points when saying they feel like their time's been wasted. The running out of the same folks in the lineup, Vogelbach comes to mind. The bullpen just having no answers and no solutions. Buck Showalter not tinkering enough. He's not a big-time tinkerer all the time. He likes to go with what he likes, apparently. And it's clear to so many Mets fans that it's time to mix things up. It's time to get some energy burst into this lineup. And occasionally these young guys can do it. Can't be all on them. Can't be all on Buck. It can't be all on Verlander and Scherzer because they're only going to pitch twice every five games. And they haven't been good enough. So Mets fans have the reason to be disappointed. The reason to be upset with Buck and Epler and sure Cohen, I don't know. Cohen obviously has nothing to do with the game time decisions and what's happening on the field every night. You can argue the money wasn't spent right, sure. But Mets fans have points right now. I'm usually one of the first guys to come out here on this podcast or occasionally when I'm on the fan and say, yo, people, relax. You're making something out of nothing here. Right now, the way this season's gone, the way this past week's gone, Mets fans are not making something out of nothing. They are very much concerned for the right reasons. And even if they're expressed in ways that I disagree with occasionally, I will never sit here and deny that those reasons do not have validity. Because they all do. The offense ain't good enough even though it's been better. The starting pitching is still far away from being where they're supposed to be, let alone where they could be to help this team be in more games. And the bullpen, take away David Robertson and Brooks Raley, and this is one of the worst bullpens you've ever seen. Ever seen. It's not an exaggeration who's good in this bullpen out of those two guys. Drew Smith, yeah, he's been fine. He's been solid. Right? Like, that's what we're hanging our hat on after two guys. He has a 4-3. Adam Adovino, he's out there as much as anybody. 4-3. Steven Nagosik, 5-6 in more innings than Adovino. Like, it's just brutal to look up and down this list and see nobody even close to a place of hanging their hat on something. Nobody. It's Robinson and it's Rayleigh. And everyone else has been bad. Not even average. Bad. That's all I have to say about the New York Mets right now. I mean, seriously, there ain't much more to do it. There ain't much more to say about the New York Mets than that because things got to change. And they got to change, I wouldn't say very quickly, but relatively swiftly. And the most frustrating thing about the Mets is that they get their sweep of the Phillies and we say, oh, look at this team. They're back, baby, just to get swept by the Blue Jays, swept by the Braves. And they might go out and sweep the next team they play. They might. I wouldn't be surprised at all, honestly. That's where, that's where they got us. That's where the Mets fans are. We have so little faith that we don't even have faith in the Mets to lose. 
which is why we turn on SNY five, six times a week and watch in agony at them blow lead after lead after lead. (sighs) New York Mets have a lot of things to figure out. But let's move on to the NBA Finals. And for me, what I look at is a lot more positive of a story with these Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat playing pretty exciting basketball. Obviously, Game 3, not super close, but still pretty competitive down the stretch, even though a 15-point win on the behalf of uh, the Denver Nuggets there. But you got a three-point game in Game 2, could have went either way. You had a close-ish game in Game 1, even though the Nuggets kind of pulled away and won by 9. You've had some entertaining basketball. But the story is the story is the story. Nikola Jokic, if there were any haters left, they're gone. Or they're in hiding. I don't even really want to do this whole shtick because it feels unnecessary. I've been defending Jokic for years. Not that he's needed much defense. He's a two-time MVP. But believe it or not, he's needed some defense. And it feels good to watch this series on the national stage and people who don't typically tune in for Nuggets games on League Pass or the occasional primetime game, they're seeing this man outside of highlights and they're seeing the way he affects the game all game long at the top of the key, at both elbows, at the low post, uh, screening, cutting, obviously passing, the shooting, the touch, the driving. It's been incredible. He's currently through three games at 33 points, 14 rebounds, and 9 assists. That's just three-game average. Three-game average. There's been a lot of talk, and there's always this talk, so it's not weird. It's not unprecedented for people who have not won or have not even made a finals yet. They get criticized at a different level. You're not going to criticize a player who's a one-time all-star, borderline, number two, number three guy on a team the way you criticize a Nikola Jokic, a two-time MVP. It's obvious. We all know this. But boy, does it feel good. Because if you've been listening to me for a year, two, three, four years, you know how much I love watching this dude. I've been saying it for four years at least now that Nikola Jokic is my favorite player to lo- to watch alongside Stephen Curry. And I give Steph the benefit of the doubt, a little tip of the cap, that he's still there with him because he is. He deserves that. But Jokic is my guy. He's number one. He's my favorite player to watch, and it's not particularly close. You see what it does for teammates. I've talked about this in the past. The Aaron Gordon experiment is perfect. My dude never sniffed 50% from the field. His first half season with the Nuggets and Nikola Jokic, 51%. His first full season with Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets, 56%. Bruce Brown has always played, not always played, but often played with some stars. He played with some of the biggest, most impressive offensive forces in the league with Kyrie and and Kevin Durant. And he got open looks all the time. And it still wasn't close to what he's able to do now with Nikola Jokic. Christian Brown, another example. A guy coming into Game 3 just knowing what he can do. Taking his strengths and getting enough trust from your best player, your two-time MVP, to a rookie that if you do this, 
you will get fed good opportunities. It's exactly what happened. He took over Game 3. Nikola Jokic is on a historic pace. And it's kind of wild, you know? Some people didn't want to admit it. I think everyone's coming along now. And if you're not coming along, if you're not along for this Jokic ride, if you're not on the Jokic wagon, please just let me know because I want to know why. I want to know what you're seeing that I'm not or what you're not seeing that I can tell you about. Because right now there's one other player in NBA history who's ever led a finals, both teams, in points, rebounds, and assists. And I'll give you a second to think about who that might be. It's LeBron James. 2016 NBA Finals. LeBron James took down the Warriors. LeBron James averaged 29, 11, and 9. I just mentioned it before. Nikola Jokic threw three games. 33, 14, and 9. On top of that, 59% from the field. 44% from three. 86% from the free throw line. He's a damn near 60, 45, 85 with nine assists a game. Right now, after game three, Murray actually just passed him on the assist uh, assist per game. Actually, he's really from game two where Jokic didn't have a ton of assists. But Murray's averaging 10 assists right now. Jokic is at 9.3. So right now, Jokic doesn't lead all three categories. But we can all see that world. We can all see over game four, five, and possibly six or seven that Jokic can be the second player in NBA history to do so. He's already the third player in NBA history to have a 30-20-10 game in the NBA Finals. He joined Wilt and Kareem, and now Jokic has done it three times. Like, what, what are we doing? This guy's insane. And... It's, it's truly one of those experiences when you're watching him, for me at least, I don't know if you feel the same way, that I audibly like chuckle. I audibly make noises. I move in my seat when he does things on the court that make me just go, what just happened? How did he know he was there? How did he get that pass between two people? How did he make that shot? Completely off balance, fading away, one foot, hands in the wrong place, gets it to the right place, swish. We haven't seen a guy like this before. And a lot of talk goes into the NBA Finals and ratings and people who don't like the NBA as much like to say, oh, look at that, the NBA still getting crap numbers, no one cares. Meanwhile, five years ago they were saying, oh my God, Warriors and Cavaliers again, LeBron versus the Warriors again. Boring. No, it wasn't. More people watched that than most other finals in history. Now, you get a finals with a guy like Jokic, who's one of the most interesting players to ever play the game. One of the best players to play the game. And I ain't talking top five, top ten yet. I ain't crazy. But this guy's on a path. He's on a true path to a top 20 all-time guy. A top 15 all-time guy. We did this the other day on the, on, the, uh, on the podcast, me and Cody O'Connor. We were trying to think of guys who have won two MVPs in the finals in a three-year stretch. Now, he hasn't won the finals yet. I'm not trying to count my chickens. Still picking him. I picked him in six before the series. I'll stick with it. But I did think, and we'll get more into the heat side uh, in a minute, I did think there was a little bit of an overreaction after game two. 
right? So it's still looking like the Nuggets series. They just won on the Heat home court with their fans going nuts, with the white out, with the white hot heat. It, this is this is different stuff here, people. And I just hope that people are realizing it because it bothers me more than it should to think back to those Cavs-Warriors finals where people complained about knowing who was going to be there, yet the people showed us that they cared about those finals more. They cared about it because they watched it more. They talked about it more. And now the NBA discourse is still pretty strong, right? I don't know about you guys, but I still see a whole lot of talk on all the big shows. Not that I really watch those shows too, too much, but they're, they're talking about the finals. They're talking about Jokic. They're talking about Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and Spolstra and Malone and Jamal Murray. So I hope you guys are enjoying this the way I am. Because it's special, it's impressive, and it's damn fun to watch. Nicole Jokic cook. Jamal Murray deserves his flowers too, though. Important to bring that up. Jamal Murray, 26 points. Just under 7 rebounds and 10 assists per game. 50% from the floor, 38% from 3, 91% from the free throw line. All the flowers we give Jokic. This boy Jamal Murray deserves a whole lot of them flowers too. A guy who's had a tough go at it over the last couple of years. Even in the beginning of this year, it took him time to hit stride. It really wasn't until the end of the season where he really, well not the end end, but like that like third quarter part of the season where he started cooking because they obviously took their foot off the gas a little bit towards the end end. This guy's putting himself in the conversation with some of the best guards in the NBA. He deserves every second of it. Because the way he's playing in this finals, you can even tell the way the Heat are now strategizing. We can't let Jokic and we can't let Murray get off easy shots because they're going to hit him. And guess what? They're hitting tough ones too. And guess what? They're making all the right plays and making all their other guys around them better. Even with mediocre to bad shooting performances from the likes of Michael Porter Jr., and Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who are both shooting well below their averages. Michael Porter Jr. is currently 3 for 19 from 3 in the, in the finals. Caldwell-Pope is 2 for 9 from 3 in the NBA finals. You think about that, and you think a team is, is not doing, doing well. They're not playing to their advantage. They're not playing to the best of their ability. And yet, they're not. And they're still up 2-1. to one. And their best basketball, in my opinion, is ahead of them in this series. A lot of people talked about the Heat after Game 2, that they figured something out, that they're getting closer to where they need to be to actually maybe pull off yet another upset of a series to figure out the, uh, the Nuggets to let Jokic score and not be a facilitator. The way I looked at that Game 2 is that the Heat nearly shot 50% from 3. And yeah, you can argue they've been doing that all along. Yeah, you can argue in the playoffs they've been different like that. They've been hitting those shots. They've been having the third and fourth guy on their team show up with a couple threes, really swing the momentum, swing the score of a quarter, and they're winning fourth quarters. That's true. But you can't look at that saying that the Nuggets have been playing their best ball. So if the Nuggets' best ball is ahead of them and the Heat already put together one of their best games, what are these next couple games going to look like? To me, it's going to look like the Nuggets taking control of this series and really proving that they are the better team, that they are going to win this finals. 
that the heat magical run will come to an end. And frankly, a lot of it comes back down to the heat as well, where you look at their roster and you look how they're scoring right now. And now it's become a thing that Jimmy hasn't been scoring the way he was earlier in the playoffs, where they need two of those other guys to really show up. And it's possible. Struce got incredibly hot in the first half of game two. We know Duncan Robinson's done it a couple times in this playoffs. He's shooting 43% right now from three for the finals. Kyle Lowry is shooting pretty well so far in the finals. Not getting a ton of looks, but he's shooting them and he's hitting them. Gabe Vincent's averaging 16 points per game so far in this finals. That's huge. Obviously, he had the big game too. But Jimmy Butler averaging just 21. And Bam Adebayo, the unlikely leading scorer for the Heat. And now granted, you could probably argue he's the number two or number three leading scorer in every series. But you don't expect him to be the number one scorer. If Jimmy Butler can't put together 30-point-per-game performances, they're going to really struggle to keep up with Jokic and Murray. Just straight up, you look at what you now need from the others on the Miami Heat, and you start doing some guesstimation, some math in your head about what the Nuggets can get. And right now, you look at the percentages, and you see Gabe Vincent, 45%, Lowry, 46%, Duncan Robinson, 43%, Caleb Martin, 44%. Kevin Love, 37%. Those are the shooting numbers from three for the Heat right now. They're As a team, they're shooting 37, almost 38% from three. The Nuggets are at 33%. They're not shooting well at all. So if there's even a regression to the mean here, advantage Denver. And it doesn't even feel like we're making some sort of gotcha point here because the Nuggets are better. And I just think it's important that they won game three, that they put a little bit of this to rest. Because in game two and after game two, you start getting the text, oh, I think the Heat are going to figure them out. I think Spolster's going to outcoach Mike Malone. Oh, I think Jimmy Butler's going to turn up and and he's going to take care of business and Struess and Vincent and so-and-so and so-and-so are going to hit all these shots. And they've been doing it all along. Why would they not keep doing it? Because this is by far the best, most well-oiled machine they've played. The Celtics showed up soft. The Bucks missed Giannis for half the minutes. The Knicks weren't ready and didn't show up. The Nuggets have showed up time after time after time. And now they're here and they're showing up again and not even to full force yet. So for every point you can make about the Heat, there's four points to make about the Denver Nuggets. And they deserve their flowers. And I am just thrilled that Nikola Jokic is getting the spotlight that he deserves getting the love that he deserves. Jamal Murray, too. Been rooting for this team for a handful of years now. And to watch him on the biggest stage, make those big shots, and make those same plays that excited me, watching them on a Tuesday night against the Kings four years ago, it's real, it's here, and it's happening. Denver Nuggets, in six, book it. Heat, fantastic story, tip my cap. Man, do y'all deserve some sunflowers, too, right? Like, the fact that you're here is incredible. But this is where it ends. The Heat have put some of their best feet forward, and it's not enough. The Nuggets have not put their best feet forward yet outside of the two stars, and it's been enough. They're up 2-1, stole back home court. Not sure if that's going to matter much with what we've seen happen over these first three games, but it doesn't matter. Heat. 
Nope, not Heat. Nuggets in six. That's all I got. Subway Sports Talk. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on your podcast app. Thank you so much for listening. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you may choose to listen to the audio. Or you can watch along on YouTube. Check me out. Look at me face-to-face. Drop a comment. Tell me what you think. Tell me your thoughts on the Mets and what the heck's going on with them. Tell me about your predictions for the Nuggets. If you're enjoying Jokic as much as I am. And if you're not, really, if you're not, I want to hear from you. Because if you're watching these Nuggets playoffs games and you're watching these finals games and you're not enthralled by what you're seeing, I don't know if we can see eye to eye. But I want to hear about it because I want to give it a chance. I want to hear what you have to say. I'm loving it. That's all I got. Subway Sports Talk. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Cheers.